all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Good morning. Welcome back to Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at UMMC and Program Director of the MedPeds Residency Program. You know, asthma is one of the most common chronic health problems that affect children nationwide, but especially in Mississippi and the South. Sometimes the symptoms can be hard to spot, though, and a delay in treatment can unfortunately have some severe consequences. Today we're going to be talking about this problem and getting your questions and comments, as we usually do. You can reach us this morning by calling 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or send an email to kids at mpbonline.org. Well, asthma is one of those things that you hear about a lot, and a lot of people call it by different names. They'll call it wheezing, or they'll call it all kinds of uh, uh, vernacular, whatever you're used to. And uh, and it's very confusing. It's one of those chronic conditions that for a pediatrician, it's a little bit hard to diagnose, particularly early on, although we treat it usually the symptoms the same way. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of misconceptions with that. And although we've made some great strides in treatment, particularly since uh, we have a lot more medications in our arsenal than we used to have. There's still a lot of work to be done to keep kids out of the hospital, out of the emergency room, uh, and healthy and really living a lifestyle that's that's as close to normal as possible. Um, There are a lot of allergens, things that can trigger asthma uh, in our environment. And for whatever reason, we don't really know, uh, you know, completely the reasons why some people develop it. Uh, We know it's probably an immune response uh, that's a little bit differently. Uh, But it's it's a big problem. Uh, and we're going to jump on into our first caller, Michelle from Gulfport. Good morning, Michelle. Thanks for calling. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. I actually have two questions. Okay. Um, I do have people that tell me that uh, they might have had asthma as children, but they've outgrown it. So I'd like to ask about that. And the second one, my granddaughter has mild intermittent asthma, and I've noticed that the circles under her eyes are getting darker and darker. I mean, it's really, really noticeable now. She's eight years old. So if you could answer those questions. Sure. Yeah, so asthma, you know, the the sort of the natural history of it, uh, most kids that have it in childhood are going to be diagnosed prior to age five, um, although you can develop it at any point in your life, including as an adult. Uh, and really, I guess we should back up a little bit and, and say this is a, a hyperreactivity of the airways. So everybody's air passages have uh, a, a lining on the inside that helps detect different things. It's the same kind of mechanism that, that causes you to cough if you get something that's, you know, if you breathe in dust, you want to get that up. So you, your body has a reaction where you cough. And in the asthmatic, though, uh, the connections between those little nerve cells 
and the smooth muscle, which is a muscular lining around those airways, it causes them to contract down, to spasm down, and that narrows the airway so much that you're having a hard time uh, you know, breathing at that point. Now, you mentioned outgrowing asthma. So for a lot of kids, uh, it's not that they necessarily would outgrow it, but it's that it goes away. Sometimes as a younger individual, they may have the symptoms of asthma or and they may be diagnosed with something called reactive airway disease. That means that their airways are a little bit spasmodic, but we don't like to label. And really, we don't have a whole lot of tools to label somebody with asthma you know, less than about four or five years of age, although we treat it just the same. So for a lot of kids, they may, uh, you know, it may have something to do with their immune system later on that they're not as uh, susceptible to a lot of those allergens that are causing those airways to spasm down. Uh, But they will over time, uh, you know, not have those symptoms anymore and not have asthma or reactive airway disease. Now, it's you really can't predict that. There's not any kind of medication or interventions that can change that. Um, sometimes if you, you're seeing an allergist, uh, if there's allergy-induced asthma uh, from whatever, uh, if it's pollen, if it's uh, you know animal dander, whatever uh, it might be, that might help some. Uh, but or, or if you move, uh, that can help too because you're changing the allergens that they get in contact with. But really, you can't really predict that very well. Even in families that have a lot of asthma, if their kids have asthma, sometimes they'll get better and sometimes they won't. Sometimes it'll stick with them for the rest of their life. And that's important to know because uh, a lot of people, as kids get older who are diagnosed with asthma, they won't treat it as aggressively uh, because, uh, you know, they, they think that everybody's going to grow out of it over time. But really can't predict that. But sometimes you can see that, that it will go away uh, with time. So that's the first question. Second question, uh, mild intermittent asthma with dark circles under your eyes. So there is two separate things going on here. So mild intermittent asthma is the mildest form of asthma. Uh, it requires a little bit less on the medications. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, but it still, you know, can cause problems. The severity of asthma, it, you know, we should note that that doesn't necessarily mean that somebody with mild asthma can't go in the hospital, can't wind up on a ventilator in the ICU. That certainly can happen. It just means the frequency, how often they're having those symptoms and how severe those symptoms are when they have them is usually a lot less than, say, somebody with moderate, persistent or um, severe, persistent asthma. The dark circles, a lot of times we'll call those allergic shiners, you know, like a guy that gets uh, sort of, it almost looks like a black eye. So it's just right underneath the eyes, and it looks like they've been staying up for, you know, a couple of nights and not getting enough sleep. And that has to do with an allergic response, um, and those tissues become real boggy. Uh, there's a little bit of, uh, you know, coloration there. But that's that's more from allergies um, to various things in the air than anything else. Uh, the other thing that you might see is a little crease uh, uh, over the nose that's like a nasal salute is what we call it. And basically, if you have a runny nose long enough, you know, a kid will just put their hand there and push up uh, on their nose, and it causes a little crease to develop right there. So those are two things that we see often uh, with allergic problems. And asthma is one of the atopic diseases, meaning that it's it's caused by this hypersensitivity to something. And for every individual, it's a little bit different. My suspicion is that she has, you know, mild intermittent asthma and also has a lot of allergy problems. 
and other, you know treating the allergies aggressively, uh, whether that's um, whether that's systemic um, antihistamines or whether that's if she's you know depending on the symptoms they may treat them in some other ways or avoidance of those allergens uh, or seeing a um, an allergist for possible testing for. Um, for immunotherapy, the, the allergy shots might help. But those are two separate things. They don't really go hand in hand, but it sounds like that she's probably got some, some allergic rhinitis uh, or allergic uh, symptoms that are causing those dark circles under her eyes. So if you treat that aggressively, a lot of times that'll get better. Thank you so very much. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for calling, Michelle. Two common things uh, that, uh, you know, come up in uh, talking about asthma. And, you know, asthma, too, when you start thinking about it as going away in some children, they outgrow it is what a lot of people will say, as we just just talked about. Um, It really is a chronic disease and you really have to treat it pretty aggressively. A lot of uh, families will, of course, ask that. How long do we need to, to treat it, particularly if. Uh, they're prescribed a medication that's, uh, you know, that's given given for a long time period. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. We're talking about asthma this morning and uh, would love to hear your questions about asthma for you or your children if they're suffering with that. Or maybe you don't know if they're having asthma and you want to maybe get a couple of opinions about uh, what's going on with their symptoms. You can reach us this morning by calling one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, Or you can email us at kids at mpbonline.org. So, how big is this problem in kids? So if you if you talk uh, from ages birth through age 17, uh, asthma is about 9% of the population in the U.S. has asthma. So that's about 1 in 12 uh, individuals have asthma or 6 million children. So it's a lot if you think about it in the general population. Mississippi is about the same numbers, maybe about a percentage point higher than that. Uh, we have, uh, we know across the nation and in Mississippi that uh, boys are affected a little bit more than girls are, and uh, non-Caucasians are affected a little bit more than Caucasians are. Uh, it does go along with high rates of allergens. We know, particularly in Jackson, it's the worst place to live if you have allergies. I remember growing up here, and I went to uh, my doctor and said, you know, if you really want to get rid of these allergies, you can move to the western coast of uh, Florida, or you can move to Southern California, which would be nice uh, in both of those. But uh, the the thought is that's because you don't really have a whole lot of these allergens that are being picked up across the country. It's hot and humid in the South, which grows a lot of nasty mold. You can't get rid of it. I know everybody's familiar with all the mold uh, uh, that grows in homes sometimes that are that are exposed to water. But the reality of it is, if you look for mold uh, everywhere in a home, particularly in the South and in the summertime, you can find it. And a lot of people are hypersensitive to that or allergic to that. So asthma really is this airway that is hypersensitive. In fact, when we talk about testing in a little while, we'll talk about how you might do, use that as a test to see if um, if somebody has asthma. But one of the ways uh, that that it um, is um, it it's prevalent and one of the ways that the symptoms come up is uh, is cough and wheezing, and those are probably two of the most common ones. 
And uh, a lot of people will explain asthma this way, too. If you take a straw and uh, breathe through that straw, that's what it feels like to an asthmatic patient. And uh, if you ask somebody to do that, just to breathe, it it sounds sort of easy when you first say this, but actually if they do it long enough, uh, you really get short-winded. You get air-hungry is what we call it, dyspneic. And uh, that can cause a lot of uh, distress, particularly in a child. Um, Now, wheezing, uh, which is just that narrowed airway, when it gets narrowed to the point where when air flows over it, uh, that air sounds almost like a little woodwind instrument in the orchestra. And it it causes wheezing, particularly as they exhale the, the air out of their lungs. But you can have it when they inhale or exhale. But you don't have to wheeze to have asthma. You can have other symptoms as well. So fast breathing can be a symptom of asthma. Um, a um, cough, particularly at night, can uh, that just won't go away, can be another symptom of asthma. And sometimes you have kids that you just don't pick it up until they have a, a routine exam. They may be very comfortable sitting there wheezing. It's not audible wheezing that you can hear. You really have to have this, a stethoscope to listen to their chest. But all these are common presenting symptoms um, in, in kids that have asthma or have reactive airway disease. And one of the reasons why it's so hard to diagnose this under the age of about four or five is the testing involves a lot of voluntary breathing uh, in, in an apparatus uh, that uh, measures the airflow and the air uh, volumes that they're blowing in and out of their lungs. And, you know, it's pretty hard to do that. If you think about your four-year-old or five-year-old, a lot of kids still can't even blow out a candle on a birthday cake. Uh, It's just a hard thing to do to coordinate for them. And that's why we can't really do the testing. There's not really a lab test that tests for asthma. Uh, You know, a lot of people would come to me sometimes. They've had a lab test that looked at their blood count and then eosinophil count may be high, uh, which is a type of white blood cell that fights off uh, that, that you see elevated in sometimes in uh, allergic individuals or if they have a parasite. But, you know, we just don't have that kind of thing for asthma. There's not like a test that you can get that says, okay, if this is positive or if it's elevated, you have asthma. So it's really uh, important that your physician uh, or your uh, primary care provider, when you go to see them, that you're very specific about the symptoms that your child may be having. Uh, if they're younger kids, they're probably not going to be able to articulate that to your to your doctor, but it, you want to be very specific about that. And as a physician, they're going to ask you a lot of questions that may not seem to be uh, to be important to what's going on. However, it's very important in the diagnosis. So that's that's the number one thing is getting a good history on that patient and then uh, listening to them on exam. However, if you have asthma, it can come and go. The symptoms are intermittent. Um, Some of the same symptoms we see in older individuals, uh, adults with chronic obstructive pulmonary disease or emphysema, they can sound exactly the same way as a kid with asthma or an adult with asthma. the difference is, is that those symptoms go away. So after those airways relax, uh, after a period of time and the inflammation, the inflammatory component goes down, uh, they'll open back up. So asthma is an intermittent narrowing of those airways in response to uh, something that's, uh, that's causing them to be sort of hyperactive and to, um, to contract the, the smooth muscle around those airways. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. We're talking about asthma this 
this morning. I had one good, or actually two good questions from one person. That's right. We'll take two or three questions if you got them this morning. You can reach us by calling one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or email us at kids at mpbonline.org. We're going to take a break. When we come back, continue our discussion about asthma. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Seven Minute Kids and Teens. I'm Dr. Jimmy, and we're talking about asthma this morning, all those things that make us wheeze and cough and uh, is it asthma or is it not? That's a hard question to answer. We've been talking about why that is in kids because of their age and because of some of the testing that we use and how important that history is. That history is just the story of what's going on. And uh, your doctor, your physician, whoever you see, your primary care provider are going to ask those questions if you say, hey, I'm, uh, I'm thinking about uh, whether or not my child has asthma. I need to have some answers to these questions. And we're answering your questions this morning about it. If you've got uh, a health issue that you would like answered, and we're going to take a crack at it this morning, you can call us at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Let's go to Chris in Ridgeland. Good morning, Chris. Thanks for calling. Good morning. Thanks for taking me. You got a qu- uh, I was wondering if I, I have asthma myself, and I was wondering now that I've got a uh, an infant in the house. Uh, I was wondering if there's a hereditary component to asthma at all, and I can take my answer off the air, sure. off the line. Thank you. Yeah, that's a great question. So, yeah, we do know that if there is a family history, if somebody in the family, whether that's mom or dad, has asthma, that there's a little bit more risk to the um, to the children. Um, one of the things that we ask early on that you may uh, think back, you know, sometimes we sort of brush over it. Uh, if you're thinking back to when you first take that little one to the doctor, is a family history because the the history of some of these things can impact whether or not we're going to look a little bit harder for those symptoms of asthma or whatever runs in the family, whether that's cholesterol problems, heart disease, kidney disease, whatever it is. So asthma is one of those. Uh, maternal history seems to be a little bit more important than paternal, but uh, that means, you know, if mom has it, then it might be a little bit more there. But if it's there in the family by dad's side or mom's side, if it's if it's there, we're going to look for it a little bit harder. Now, we wouldn't necessarily treat those individual children with any medications or do any extra testing, again, because it is, you know, the symptoms of cough or wheezing. But that's one thing that we would you know, start to look for those things. And if you're a parent uh, that does have asthma, 
then you certainly want to be looking for those symptoms of well as well. So, and the subtle ones are the ones that people miss sometimes, and physicians. Uh, again, those are that maybe fast breathing. Maybe they're not able to exercise quite as much as other individuals their age. If they're out on the soccer field and they're having a little bit of hard time running and they cough a lot when they do that, that certainly can be a symptom. If they cough at night. Um, if they have other allergic type problems, whether that's allergic rhinitis, that's sort of the runny nose that you get uh, with um, with allergy problems or other allergies, runny eyes, the allergic shiners we, we discussed early in the hour, all those things are some things to look at. But yeah, the family history is important. Genetics does play a, a role in this. Uh, and families that have a lot of asthma, they're more at risk. Now, you can have a family where everybody has asthma and then have one child, you know, that doesn't, everybody else does. But uh, generally speaking, it, it is an increased risk that we at least uh, look for. doesn't mean they're necessarily going to have it. You know, you can have a cough or a cold, and uh, certainly they can get over that. But we're going to look for it a little bit more. And, you know, the impact of this is really pretty staggering if you think about it. So there was a good study in Mississippi uh, back about three, well, about five years ago now. Just some facts on children with asthma in the state. Um, you know, of those that have asthma as a diagnosis, about six, a little over 60 percent uh, have an episode of asthma or an asthma attack in the last year. So more than half of them in the state. You think about that. And that can impact a lot of different things, not just the health of the child, but also school schedules, work schedules. Uh, if it's a severe attack, they may have to be off from school. Uh, that pulls that child out of those normal activities. And as a chronic disease, that's what the one of the biggest impacts of a chronic disease is. About 40% had an emergency room visit during the past year if they had asthma. Almost 9% required hospitalization because of their asthma in the past year. And, you know, that can be anything from an overnight stay to maybe, you know, three or four days. It just sort of depends on how they respond to the different medications. 40% miss one or more days from school in the past year due to their asthma. And again, a lot of these kids are missing a lot of school because of it. About 45% miss one or more days of daycare in the past year due to asthma. And we know if you're out of daycare, uh, probably the parents at home too, and uh, they're not able to go to work. So about 60% were not given an asthma action plan by a doctor or health professional. And we'll talk a little bit about that, but that's basically what's your game plan if you have asthma? What are some things that you can do early on to stop the process of those airways constricting down uh, and maybe, um, you know, save yourself a trip to either the physician or um, or the the ER if you can if you know some specific things to do. And again, about 60% did not have a um, action plan uh, at schools, and that's you know that's a, a big deal at schools to know what to do if if something happens. Uh, 85% never took a course on how to manage their asthma. And these are available if you ask your physician, you know, for some resources. Uh, there's certainly um, there's certainly a lot of things out there that you can get a lot of things online. Um, the CDC website, although it's a little bit hard to navigate, they have some uh, asthma um, asthma um, specific things that you can look for. Uh, there's a lot of other websites out there, too. They're good. I love HealthyChildren.org for all problems. They actually have a great asthma section. Uh, there's some videos out there that are that are good to know exactly how to do and how to take your medications because that's important. We're talking about asthma this morning. 
morning on Southern Remedy Kids and Teens, and a lot of good uh, questions and calls so far. We've got plenty of time for you to call in with your questions. You can reach us at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or email us at kids at mpbonline.org. So we talked a little bit about risk factors earlier with uh, allergies or, or atopic diseases. And allergic rhinitis, that's an, an allergic response in the nose, is probably the biggest one. And, you know, if you think about it, your lungs aren't totally separate from the rest of your respiratory passages. There's really a continuous lining from uh, from your nose and back of your throat all the way down to your lungs. Everything, when you think about asthma or allergic responses, is really connected. And although you can have maybe a runny nose without asthma, uh, if you do have asthma, everything's really sensitive all along that way. So you don't have to breathe something necessarily into your lungs. There's lots of different ways that our passages, nasal passages, filter out some of those things like dust, um, other pollens or allergens that we breathe in uh, before they get to the lungs to try to protect them. However, you can still have an allergic response even if those particles don't get down in there. Uh, So much so, a lot of people have irritants uh, that's a little bit different than allergens. Allergens has an actual allergic response. So there's chemicals released in the body like histamines that cause tissues to... Uh, to uh, to swell and it has lots of different inflammatory things that come in uh, and really it's trying to protect the body against those far, what it's looking at is, is something that's foreign um, but an irritant is a little bit different and I think we've all experienced this if you uh, you know, I've been going to a lot of baseball games lately with my boys, and uh, you know that, that for some reason it's been cooler, and there's been a lot of winds. Uh, it's been pretty windy everywhere we went, we've gone, and you know a lot of dust flying around, and you can certainly cough when you get exposed to that if you breathe some of that in. Uh, an asthmatic will do that, but they'll do it a lot longer, and it will continue on and on and on uh, with that. So irritants are are important. Even, um, you know, one of the most important irritants, of course, is smoking. Um, So smoking is one of those questions we may ask families, you know, does anybody in the family smoke, particularly if you have asthma? And unfortunately for an asthmatic, even if you smoke outside the home, so let's say that you never smoke inside and you just smoke outside, for some asthmatics, even the smell of that smoke on your clothing uh, can uh, start or trigger an allergic response, or excuse me, not an allergic response, but an asthmatic response. Uh, so that's, you know, it's it's in everybody's best interest. You can save a whole heck of a lot of money if you if you quit smoking. That's something we try to get families to do, give them a lot of resources to do that. Uh, particularly if somebody has asthma in the family. So irritants are important. Perfumes are another one. Uh, any kind of smell, sometimes if uh, cleaners can do this as well, if you're using pine salt or if you're using some, even some soaps can do it. Uh, unfortunately, have some really severe asthmatics in our clinic, and they can get set off with just individual things that they come into contact with. And for those irritants and those smells, 
you know, even things like a mask that you would wear don't really protect you too well because those are so small that they can get through there, and those airways are just really sensitive, so it can set them off. And the risk factors are important if it's an allergen or an irritant because avoidance is probably the best way. If you can avoid that, uh, you know, during those times, for instance, if it's a dog, uh, you know, and you probably don't need to go buy a dog in the house if you know that every time your child goes over to the neighbor's house who has a dog that they get, you know, allergic uh, allergic symptoms or asthmatic symptoms. So the the avoidance is a big one. There's a lot of household allergens as well, uh, a lot of, uh, of things, uh, creepy crawlies that are all over our skin uh, that, uh, that feed on dead skin, uh, like dust mites. Uh, there's hard to get rid of. There are some things, particularly in the bedroom, that you can use, um, pillowcases that are, that are uh, rated to do that to encase those things so that they don't get out, uh, washing those sheets regularly in hot water. Uh, to help, uh, you know, break that cycle of those dust mites getting in there. Um, in big cities, cockroaches are, in, are one of the big triggers for a lot of allergic kids uh, and asthmatics. Uh, so keeping things clean, making sure you're not having food, you know, in places where they can come in and get it. Those are all things that you'd want to want to avoid. Uh, but sometimes you just can't avoid that. And I made a comment about, you know, the pollen in, in clinic earlier this week to a patient and their family. And they said, you know, we've been inside a whole lot. You know, that your your house can certainly filter out a lot of those pollens and allergens. But with the counts that we have, it's near about impossible to get rid of them completely. Uh, and for somebody who's really sensitive to them, just stepping outside sometimes will, will cause those problems. So really hard to do. If you treat the allergens, though, if they are do have a true allergy to something, uh, that can certainly uh, help out, particularly with asthma. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. We're talking about asthma this morning. Got some good questions so far. We'd love to hear from you. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk about how do you diagnose this and how do you treat it and uh, maybe hold off some of those more severe asthmatic um, complications. You can reach us this morning by calling 1-877-MPB-RING, 1-877-672-7464. We'll be right back after this. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. I'm Dr. Jimmy, and we're talking about asthma this morning. Everything that wheezes and everything that doesn't wheeze that uh, might be causing your child to have asthma. What can you do about it? Been talking about how big a problem it is, some of the complications you can have with it, but also just uh, how do you deal with this? How do you know, first of all, if your child actually has it or not? We mentioned um, earlier in the hour about 
uh, the difficulty with younger individuals with diagnosing them with asthma. And even though they may have that, you know, when you, uh, you know, in our clinic, they're given, uh, patients are given a piece of paper that has what their diagnosis is. Uh, sometimes I'll look a little different for different kids. Sometimes we'll put down their reactive airway disease, which means it acts just like asthma. They can have wheezing sometimes, particularly if they have other things going on, if they have a cold. Uh, respiratory syncytial virus, or RSV, is a big one in the winter months, particularly with younger individuals. They can certainly wheeze with that. Some are more susceptible to that than others. Uh, or you might see asthma down. But to make the diagnosis of asthma, really, it's it's the gold standard is really the symptoms and the physical exam. And again, if when they come to the office, they may have symptoms uh, that are pretty classic for asthma, but a normal physical exam. And that's just because of the intermittent nature of it so that it comes and goes with the symptoms uh, over time. So history is important. So some of the questions we'll ask is, have you ever noticed that your child uh, audibly wheezes? Does it sound sort of like this <laughs> when they breathe, particularly if they exhale out? Um, and that's, that's you know, sometimes it can be a lot more subtle than that. Um, everything that sounds that way, though, is not necessarily asthma or reactive airway disease. So a lot of times they'll have narrowing of the upper airways, and asthma is one that's truly down in the lungs. So if they have a little bit of hoarseness, if they have a viral infection that's causing some edema or swelling around the vocal cords, uh, like croup, uh, and smaller individuals, sometimes just the way that they have their head and their neck um, um, uh, flexed or extended during their, they sl- when they sleep, uh, they can have, you know, their, their airways are a little bit smaller, a little bit floppier. They can have some of these sounds as well. Uh, so it's important to note that. And, you know, even if you're hearing that, that's one of the things we ask about is wheezing. That necess- doesn't necessarily mean that, it, that they do have asthma. Another thing we'll ask about is cough. They have a chronic cough both during the day or at night. There is a a couple of different variants of asthma that can cause those specific symptoms of cough. Uh, Exercise is another one. So exercise-induced asthma is one that we'll ask about, particularly if it occurs, if coughing or wheezing occurs in the first 10 to 15 minutes of exercise uh, and then goes away after that. Uh, A lot of kids will push through that. My oldest son has those symptoms, and, um, you know, sometimes you can blow them off like this dad did uh, when uh, my son was younger and at a soccer game. He said, you know, it just feels like my chest feels tight. I listened to his chest, and sure enough, he was wheezing. I, you know, I was sort of surprised because he had just scored four goals in soccer, but, um, you know, it can happen. Uh, certainly, that's something that you want to, you don't need to uh, just sort of blow off, uh, no pun intended, uh, because it can cause problems down the road. A lot of imp- Olympic athletes have had asthma uh, and uh, you definitely want to treat it, not just for, you know, how they will, they can perform, but to try to stave off some of the, the chronic uh, and more serious health problems. So history is the first thing. And uh, we'll ask about how often they have symptoms. So if you're having symptoms, uh, not just daily, but at least, you know, two days out of the week, we'll ask about that, about how often you're having it. Uh, some people may only have uh, asthma symptoms 
once or twice a month or once or twice a year. We treat them a little bit differently, but we still they still may be tested for asthma, particularly if they're older than age five. Physical exam is one where we look at a, a couple of different things, mainly examining the lungs. One is to just observe a child breathing. So pediatricians, uh, you know, we we do a lot of observation because kids can't tell us the whole story. We ask for your observations as parents or guardians about what you're seeing. And normally there's about a two-to-one ratio uh, or one-to-two ratio of inhalation to exhalation. In other words, it takes about twice the amount of time to blow air out of your lungs than it does to breathe air in if they're just breathing comfortably. In asthma, there's a lot more problems with that air coming out of the lungs. So what you'll see is a prolonged expiratory phase. So they'll breathe in, but when they breathe out, it takes them a lot longer. And that's, again, that's the time that you might hear that wheezing because of those narrowed airways. Um, So we're looking at that as as well as listening for any uh, sounds. Now, they may have some wheezing in the, you know, I've had some parents sort of uh, take take uh, take me at odds about uh, the physical exam because they can hear wheezing. But when you actually hear in the lungs with your stethoscope, you can pinpoint where those sounds are coming from. And if it's more up around the trachea, up in the neck, uh, again, that's not necessarily asthma. That's something a little bit different. And it's not, it needs to be lower in the, in the airways to really hear that. And even if they don't have wheezing, Uh, We listen for what we call abnormal patterns of airway movement. So if they're not moving that air back and forth in those airways as they breathe in and out, that can be a sign uh, that they might have asthma. Talking about asthma today on Southern Remedy Kids and Teens, uh, plenty of time for you to call with your questions or comments. You can reach us at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or email us at kids at mpbonline.org. So what if they're over age five and they have enough of these uh, historical elements and physical exam elements that your physician thinks that, uh, that they do have asthma? What's the next step? So one is is a test that you can do in the office. It's not totally accurate. Um, and again, it, it depends on how well the individual cooperates and can blow in and out forcefully. And it's a little tube that they uh, put in their mouth and they occlude their lips around it and then they'll blow. Most of the time they'll blow out. And this measures the peak flow, the peak airflow that they can blow out of their lungs. And that's useful. It's much more useful if, uh, you know, somebody has asthma, although there's been some recent studies that show it's not that that good a technique. But if you have somebody uh, uh, to at least follow their progression and how well they're doing. But if you have somebody that's fairly, you know, older, they know how to do it, uh, you coach them through that, it can be useful just to see how, uh, how well they're doing at home. It's not the best test to, to uh, use in the office. Uh, it is cheap, though, and you can carry this thing around uh, with you. It's, you know, it's not uh, much, uh, much larger than a pack of a deck of cards, so you can uh, you know, carry it around with you. Pulmonary function tests are a much more exhaustive way of doing this, and it's about the same kind of thing. There's a little tube that you blow in and out of, uh, and you'll blow forcefully in and out of to try to see what the volume and how fast that air goes in and out. And they measure a number of things on that. Um, and that can help if the predicted airflow 
particularly in some portions of inhalation, exhalation is changed. It can predict if you have asthma or not. A better way even to uh, to use that test, the pulmonary function test, is to, uh, if you're thinking about asthma, is to add something called a, a, a metacholine challenge test. So metacholine is a substance that in everybody, if you give them enough of it, they'll cough. So it induces coughing and wheezing uh, in in individuals. Asthmatics have a, a uh, you can just give them a very small amount of it, and it usually will set them off. So there's a standardized amount that we give with the test, and if it doesn't change the airflow, not necessarily cough or wheezing, but if it changes the airflow in any way uh, that's decreased, then that person is usually given a diagnosis of, of asthma uh, or reactive airway disease. But those are some of the tests that you can use. And again, you can't really do, it's sort of frustrating. It's one of those things in medicine that you have to do a little bit of detective work. You can't find uh, out exactly what's going on from a blood test uh, or just looking at somebody. You have to take all these things into consideration. And even if they have a positive metacholine challenge test on the pulmonary function test, you still have to get those, you know, there's still a little bit of difference on how you treat asthma and you'd want to know the specific about how often they're having symptoms, uh, what are the duration of those symptoms when they do have them, and what's the impact of those uh, on their life. So all those things are are very important when you're uh, diagnosing asthma to try to see what the severity of it is. And there's, there's two big categories of severity. One is called intermittent asthma, and the other one is called persistent asthma. The persistent asthma has two other designations, moderate and severe. Uh, the intermittent asthma is just that. It just happens intermittently. Uh, usually that's less than about two times a week uh, or uh, of daytime symptoms and about two t- less than two times a month of nighttime symptoms. Uh, it's very a mild form, and we just we treat it with just a rescue inhaler, which we'll we'll talk about in a little bit. Uh, the persistent asthmas do sometimes take a lot of the different medications to really quiet down that response in the lungs. Let's go to John and Brandon. Good morning, John. Uh, yes, doctor. Uh, I have a question about uh, different types of asthma and relating to uh, diets and particularly. Uh, gluten. Have you been able to uh, track any correlation with uh, someone who has gone gluten-free and over a period of time been able to uh, reduce or possibly even eliminate the, the actual asthma itself? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, as we talked about earlier, asthma can be triggered by either an irritant or an allergen. And uh, when you start talking about allergens, uh, certainly gluten, for those who are truly gluten sensitive or gluten allergic, uh, that would be in the same category as if they were allergic to, say, pollen. So if you remove that from their diet, they're not being exposed to it. Uh, Certainly you can see, you know, if they have asthma, the asthma symptoms uh, at least decrease. Uh, So that's something to think about. Uh, And a lot of times your allergist will probably be asking you about those questions. Food allergies, even if it's not gluten, but it may be something else, that certainly can cause an asthma attack as well. So if you're allergic to, say, mango or, you know, I don't know, asparagus. The reason I'm asking uh, as far as allergies are concerned, I myself got rid uh, of an egg allergy. Uh-huh. Uh, it, it, it caused, uh, well, 
I never knew I had it, but apparently uh, I developed uh, an allergy to uh, eggs, and I was eating a good many of them, and I developed a rash down, yep. down my right leg. Well, I thought, uh-huh, I may be uh, the, the leaky gut syndrome. So I, I totally got off of gluten and eggs for a year. Then, after about a year, I was able to start eating eggs again and no allergy. So th- that yep. proved in my particular case that, that I had had, had a, a, a leaky gut syndrome, and got rid of it and allowed the uh, little villi to regrow enough that I was no longer uh, leaking into my bloodstream uh, the parts of the egg that was causing the problem. Yeah, and that's that's the, you know, the... uh the the way those when you mentioned villi for everybody else that's the little portions of the intestine that absorb the nutrients and absorb you know the water and fluids that we need if you damage those in any kind of way whether that's an inflammatory response from an allergy uh, whether that's an you know a gastrointestinal disease like a uh, you know diarrhea caused by either a bacteria or a virus. Uh, they don't work right, and things enter the bloodstream, and also you lose a lot of water in that too. Um, you mentioned eggs; it's interesting. Some allergies stick with you a long time. Some you can you can lose that. So if you like, just like you mentioned, if you're you know uh, like uh, peanuts are one that we understand a lot better now. Some of them you can challenge the body back. That's sort of the specialist uh, area of. Uh, of allergists is what they do is they sort of trick the body's immune system to recognize that a little bit differently so that they're not producing all those nasty uh, allergic uh, substances. But you got to be careful with that. And you certainly would want to talk to somebody about it because if you do have an allergic response, every time you have an allergic response, it sort of primes the body to have more. So that probably needs to be supervised in small amounts. And if they tell you, hey, at this point, you know, you might can reintroduce eggs because your villi were, were being, you know, uh, affected by the gluten sensitivity. Uh, that's certainly something you'd want to discuss with him first rather than just diving into it. But, sure. yeah, you're right. Well, that was about, it was about 10 years ago. Yeah. And, uh, of course, I've remained gluten-free even to the point of, of making sure that gravy does not have any, any uh, flour in it or anything like that. And so yeah. I have no allergies at all now. Even in the spring and the fall, I don't, I don't sneeze like I used to. Yeah. Yeah, gluten is one of those things that we don't fully understand, but we know it can impact a lot of different things, including asthma. So <laughs> thanks, John, and uh, good luck to you. I hope you stay allergy-free out there. Man, I wish I could be like that. Uh, pollens <laughs> are my demise. Uh, a lot better than I used to be, but uh, still, it can be pretty bad. Get off of gluten. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, for me, it's not that easy. Uh, so thanks, John. So this is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. Just a, a couple of quick things I wanted to mention about treatment um, for, uh, for asthma. And, you know, we mentioned mild intermittent asthma. There are two general types of, of medications. One is usually called a rescue inhaler or a, a short-acting agent, and that's either um, uh, it's a beta agonist, a short-acting beta agonist. And albuterol is one. Uh, there's a couple of more that are out there. Uh, this is something that if your child, if you are having an asthma attack, this helps to relax those smooth muscles in your lungs so that you can open up those airways. It's the same medication that we give uh, in the hospital if you come in to help open up those airways. And you want to use this when you're having that first have those symptoms, whatever your individual symptoms are, your child symptoms. It can be given either as a nebulizer. This is a machine that delivers this through a mask to the lungs. It's something that you breathe in. It's not a medication where you take orally. Uh, and then there's also a little pump uh, and a couple other different mechanisms where you. it's a small device you can carry with you. It works very effectively if you 
use it right. You really have to get some good training, though, to use it right. And that's, again, just if you have the acute symptoms of asthma. The second class, and we have several, are things that help reduce the amount of inflammation. And inhaled steroids are really a lifesaver. Since we've been using those uh, for asthma, we've cut down a lot of the side effects of oral steroids, of you know the liquid or the, the pill-type steroids. This is a steroid that, that you breathe in. It gets right to the lungs to reduce the inflammation because we know that inflammation is one of the things that will, over time, change those airways, and it'll be harder and harder and harder to stop those asthma attacks. Um, so if you do have asthma, the steroid medications, the inhaled steroids, are something that you'd want to take every day. Uh, sometimes it's once a day, sometimes twice a day. It sort of depends on your individual symptoms, and your physician should go over that with you. But um, those are really important, and the goal would be to not use that rescue inhaler uh, all the time and to reduce the amount of asthma exacerbations that you're having. So the steroids can do that. Another one is a long-acting beta agonist, and there's a lot of controversy over the years with these, but in some individuals they, they work very well. Uh, and again, that's that's relaxing those smooth muscles in the lungs. Sometimes there is a combination of the inhaled uh, corticosteroids and the long-acting beta agonist together in the same uh, delivery system. So there's lots of different ways to do that. A couple of others that are out there, there's one called Singulair uh, that is a monoleuclast um, uh, is the, is the uh, generic form of it. So it's a leukotriene inhibitor. Leukotrienes are inflammatory substances in the body that are increased in an asthmatic uh, a patient. Uh, and if you decrease these, you re- reduce the amount of that inflammation in the lungs and other tissues. Incidentally, they also work really well for allergic type symptoms, particularly allergic rhinitis or allergy symptoms that are related to the upper uh, nasal passages. So sometimes you can hit both things with this. And the convenience of this is it's a pill. They have a, a disintegrating one that you just put in your mouth and it's absorbed orally um, for younger kids. Not really a whole lot of side effects with this medication. It's pretty clean. Uh, and for a lot of them, particularly the ones that are uh, triggered by allergic-type symptoms, that's that's a lifesaver. The other thing could be oral steroids. So they are used if you have a, a an acute attack, uh, one that's, uh, that starts up uh, if you're admitted to the hospital. It's very common for us to give steroids either through an IV or uh, by mouth. And you may have four or five days that you'd have to take that. But, again, that's really to decrease the amount of inflammation because that's it's not just those airways spasming down, but it's also the amount of inflammation in the lungs that can cause problems. Um, regardless of the medications that your physician would give your, your child, you really want to stick to those. Uh, if they're having a decrease in symptoms, oftentimes they'll be able to back down off of them over time, but usually that's you know after about three to six months. Um, most people would hit them pretty hard up front or, or take a stepwise approach so that the symptoms decrease, but you really got to be regimented about that, and it's difficult for a lot of families to stick to those, uh, those routines of doing it, but it certainly pays off in the end. I want to thank all our callers today. This has been Southern Remedy Kids and Teens, which is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and by the generous contributions of our listeners like you. 
Uh, hats off to Jay White, as usual, our producer, and uh, uh, Michelle McAdoo, who's uh, our call screener for today. I'm Dr. Jimmy. You can join us next Thursday at 11 for Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. And stay tuned for NPR's Here and Now coming up next on MPB Think Radio.